gospel clearly and then live light or live life rather in light of the gospel. So a gospel centered life and the gospel is just the message. That's what it is. The gospel is a good news message that Jesus is our king, that he came, paid the penalty on the cross for our sins, that he died but was resurrected, and he's alive today, and he has paid the price. And so now, if we will repent, turn away, and place our complete trust in Christ alone, then he'll forgive us and accept us. And if we live these truths out every single day, then we will indeed be living a gospel-centered life that is victorious for Christ. And so quite simply, if you, if you like me and you like textbook definitions... The definition of a gospel-centered life is everything that a person thinks, says, and does is radically transformed by the grace of God as seen through the cross of Christ. And so everything that you say, think, and do is transformed by God's grace because of the cross. And so when we live in light of that, it changes everything. And so today, as we continue Romans chapter 8, today's sermon is titled... Facing the accuser. So a gospel-centered life requires that you face the accuser. Let's, con- let's continue the series reading in Romans chapter 8. Today we'll be looking at verses 31 through 34. Again, Romans 8, 31 through 34. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Absolutely amazing. This makes my heart sing. These words are absolutely astounding. Let me give you the main idea. Let me give you the primary truth, the overarching truth for this text that governs this morning. The main idea is that disciples can confidently face Satan and their sin. Disciples of Jesus can confidently face Satan and their sin. Now this is a critical message for our faith family. Why do I say that? Why is this message so important for us in Abu Dhabi, sitting here in the heat as we fan ourselves? Why is it so important for us? Because living in Abu Dhabi has great uncertainty. Like, on a Friday morning, no lights. You can't can't forecast those things. You don't plan on that happening, but it's not just electricity failures. There's great uncertainty in this city. You know why? Because a lot of you in the room, I know this firsthand, your contract is going to end fairly soon. And you don't know if it's going to be extended or renewed. And no one's telling you. And you won't know until probably after it's already expired. Uncertainty. And then maybe your villa. There's uncertainty there because now there's no more 5% cap. For the rent increase. And you like where you live. And it's in your budget. And it's great. Close to the kids' school. And you want to stay there. But you don't have any idea if the landlord is going to just skyrocket the rent. 
You don't know. You might. Uncertainty. There's unknowns. There is such a privilege to live in the Arabian Peninsula. To be in Abu Dhabi is so strategic for the gospel, where the nations are all here, and we are privileged. It really is a privilege to live here, to be where God is at work with the nations. I absolutely count it an honor to live in this city. But that doesn't change the reality of uncertainty of living here. A lot of unknowns. And here's what can happen. When you have circumstances that you can't control, when circumstances happen and they're difficult, when you're frustrated or you're worried or you're anxious about what might happen, you don't even know, it hasn't happened yet, but you're afraid that something might happen and it's all going to be good because you always assume the worst because we're falling. When we're in this, in this state of anxiety or frustration, you know what will happen to you? You will have Satan come attack you, and he's going to use this emotional upheaval, and it's going to trigger even more temptations. It will. Because when you're tired or anxious, Satan comes when you're weak, and he hits you harder. Because he, he knows that he can get you. And so there's going to be even more temptations. And, and temptations tend even to grow more in the face of anxiety, frustration, uncertainty. And then the reality is sometimes God's people fail. Sometimes we fail. We must continue to struggle against our sinful desires. We, we have to do that. But sometimes, though we approach the frustrations, is we want to manage them. We want to control them and manipulate them or people and just do our best with our own power, our own wisdom to try to manage and control and just fix everything around us. But the reality is a lot of things that are happening in your world are beyond your control and you can't fix them. You can't manage them, but we try. And so what happens is, is increased frustration is the cycle. And then that's increased temptations. And then it just, you can't, and you drive off the road into a ditch. Because you've lost your focus. Because your focus was on the things that aren't going well or that are uncertain. And so in the face of the realities of sometimes being tired of weariness or of uncertainty or anxiety or even of past failure, we approach Romans 8. And verse 31 should be music to your soul. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? God is for us. This is life-changing truth. You can trust God. You really can. We are secure in Christ. We don't have to fear the enemy. You don't have to fear the struggles. We need to be reminded of this all the time. Not just Friday morning, but even in our lives. We need people in our lives that will speak truth to us. I had a great time on uh, Tuesday evening. I went and hung out with NYU students. There's a small contingency of them right over here. I love these young adults. And I went to NYU and we spent the evening. It's crazy. They start Bible study at 9 p.m. 
When I got the email from Joe, you know Joe plays the keys? He's like, yes, can you come teach her Bible study? I'm like, yeah, great, what time? Nine. I was like, oh, you mean bedtime. And they're like on the Corniche. They're up there at NYU. So it was like a 45-minute drive one way. But it was great. We're talking about community this week and the need for young adults, but not just them, even older. Everyone's young in here. Adults. We need community. We need to hear truth in love. You know why we need to hear that? Why we need to hear God is for you. Nothing can stand against you. You need to hear that every day. You know why? Because we forget. We forget. Because life is busy and hard sometimes. And we just lose our focus. Or sometimes we don't just forget. Sometimes we intentionally don't let these truths sink in deep into our soul. Because sometimes we're wounded. And some of you are wounded. And you don't want this to go too deep because then it's going to hurt. And so you want to keep everything and everyone far away at arm's length from you. Stop. Stop. Stop trying on your own. You can't. You can't manage and fix everything on your own. You have to yield to our God in heaven who absolutely loves you and gives you this promise. Our enemy, Satan, is a defeated enemy. And he will accuse you. And yet we can withstand him and bravely face him and our sin. It says in Revelation 12, this is describing the future, what's going to happen to our enemy. Revelation 12, verses 9 and 10. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God? The accuser is thrown down, cast into the lake of fire and defeated, where he will never be able to accuse you again. And God is for us. When our enemy attacks us because he does, and he points out your sin. He reminds you of your failures. He accuses you of evil. And sometimes the accusations are so cutting. And it's so in our minds. And sometimes there's even truth to these failures. That we're just paralyzed. We just feel like we can't even face these demons or this past. And you approach Romans 8. 31, and it says, God is for us who can stand against us. But how do you know for sure? On what basis does God reveal here that you can withstand the enemy, that you can withstand the accusations, that you can confidently, this again, main idea, that disciples can confidently face Satan and their sin. On what basis, how can you, how does this work? God for us. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning from this text. Three reasons why you can confidently face your accuser. Number one, the first reason why is because of Christ's sacrifice. 
based on Christ's sacrifice, you can stand in the face of Satan and your sin and be victorious. You see it in verse 32. So 31 is amazing. So it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a premise. Now here's a reason. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So he's talking about Christ who was given. God did not spare his own son. He sacrificed his son for us. It's the first reason why you know you can confidently stare down Satan, your sin, your failures, and be victorious. Because our failures can sometimes be terrifying. We want to run away. We want to hide. Because it's scary and painful. And we want to stay in the shadows. And not come out into the light because maybe we're ashamed. And we don't want to face our fears sometimes. So what will give you the absolute confidence to be honest with yourself, honest with your God, and honest with others that are your closest to, to have transparency and openness? What will give you the confidence to stare down the accuser and be victorious? Christ. Sacrifice Christ crucified. That gives you the confidence. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not graciously give us all things? The cross absolutely proves God's love for you. The Father did not hold back what was most precious to him. He willingly sacrificed his son, the glorious one. God is absolutely holy. We can't forget that. God is love, but He is equally holy. And due to His holiness, God must judge sin. Hear me, He must. He will. Because He's a good, fair, consistent judge. And when there is sin, when there is evil, He will pronounce a verdict. He will judge. And the penalty decreed by a holy God, is the penalty for sin is death. This is revealed in the word. So this is what it is. A penalty is death. And God, justice demands this. And so we talk about hell. And it's not a fun topic to address. But hell exists because God is holy. Hell exists as a reflection of God's holiness. It does. Just like heaven is also just a place that God made that reflects His beauty and glory. Hell exists because God is holy. And this is heavy and painful. But it's in the Bible. And so God demands a payment. And because God is infinitely holy, He requires infinite holiness from those that will be in relationship with Him. For those that are not forgiven and redeemed, there is going to be infinite judgment for them. And it pains me to say that, which is why we talk about telling others the good news. They have to know what awaits them if they don't repent and believe in Jesus. Because on the cross, what did Jesus do? If you think about it for a second, he was enduring God's wrath. God's judgment was being poured out on Jesus. He literally absorbed our 
guilt and our sin, our judgment, holiness, all poured out on him. And so Jesus endured everything that hell is. When he was on the cross, he was literally enduring hell. Which hell is what? Judgment. Christ endured judgment. Hell is loneliness. He was on the cross alone. Father, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. Hell is loss of anything good. Jesus had nothing good on the cross. No pleasure whatsoever in hell. Christ, no pleasure on the cross. And worst of all, hell is separation from God. And on the cross, Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, experienced separation from God. When God turned his back on him. Why? Because he was having our sin, our guilt poured out on him. He experienced hell for you and for me. Because he wanted to display his glory. And how did he do that? He loves you. He loves you. The nails did not hold Christ on the cross. It was his love for you that kept Jesus on the cross, enduring wave after wave of God's holy judgment upon him. And he endured it for love. And he loves you because he loves you. He loves you with a relentless passion. And God in heaven desperately wants you to be liberated from your sin and run to him and to just enjoy him. God wants to heal you. But salvation wasn't free. Jesus had to pay. He paid my debt and yours. And maybe you're trying to pay it back yourself. Maybe you're trying to earn it. Maybe it's very subtle, but maybe you're trying to earn your salvation, trying to earn God's favor by being religious or trying harder or being a good person, but it won't work. Even as a believer in Jesus, I can't earn his favor. I continue to need his grace. All he asks is that I trust him on the work that Jesus completed, which is why he cried out, it is finished. He completed it. Redemption Purchased, debt, paid, sin, accounted for, death, defeated, Satan, defeated. It is finished. Forgiveness is available now because he paid the price. If we will repent and believe. And the cross is the evidence. This is the proof that God loves you. And so you see he says here because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he says that he will graciously give us all things. So based upon his work on the cross, he'll give us all things. But what is, what is this all things? Does this mean he'll give you all the Mercedes that you want? Because some would say, yes, you claim it in the name of Jesus. If you send enough money so you can buy the right oil or, or whatever, you can claim it. And God will give you all things that you ask for in the name of Jesus. Is that what this text is talking about? No. No, it's not. Good job, bud. I like it. It's not. How do I know it's not? Because context. If you take one verse and you rip it out of context, you can interpret it however you want, and you can use it for your own means, like Satan did when he tempted Jesus. He used scripture, pulled out of context. Can't do that. Read this verse in context. We looked at the previous sentence last week. Verses 28 through 30 in the Romans 8 context. 
Verse 28 has, interestingly, the same words. It says that God works all things for good. And then now here, two verses later, he says, God is working. He's going to give you all things. And so what is this all things that's revealed in Romans 8.28 that then is reemphasized in Romans 8.32? We saw this last week. The ultimate good is in verse 29. To be conformed to the image of the Son. That is good. That is the good that God is doing, and that is the good that he is promising. This is the all things that are good, is having, being conformed to Christ's image, having the kind of character inside, integrity, having a, a character that reflects Jesus, a character that has holiness and purity and integrity and grace and kindness, having Christ-like character. Being conformed to Christ's image, that is good. Reflecting his glory more and more in your life. That is the good that God promises. This is the, all the things that he wants to give to us. is more of himself, more of his glory in our lives, more of him. What better can God give you than himself? What can he give you that's better than his spirit? What can he give you that's better than a character that loves him and loves him and enjoys him? And a soul that is satisfied because of Christ. What better can God give you? This is what he wants for you. This is the all things that he offers you. It's more of him. More of his presence in your life. And he died on the cross to redeem you and then to transform you into a white hot worshiper who is actively tearing down the idols in your heart, smashing them, burning them, destroying these idols that would compete for affections for Jesus. And this is what he's doing in our hearts. He's not done yet. We're not in heaven yet. We're not glorified yet. But we are on the path of being sanctified, of being conformed to Christ's image day by day as we yield to him through his spirit. If God is for us, then who can stand against us? What sin, what failure, what struggle is too big that's going to stand between you and your God? What's too big for God to overcome? Christ's sacrifice should give you absolute confidence that you can face the accuser. Stand up to Satan, stare at that ugly sin that has been beating you down. You get up, you stand up, you stare down that sin, and you say, I am done with you. You're done calling the shots. You're done. I'm, I'm done with you beating me up and defining who I am. That's it. Christ died for me. I have power over this sin because Christ paid it all and so now you have his spirit and he loves you and the cross proves that he's for you and that you can overcome that god is faithful hear me god is faithful he will not forsake you will you trust him i mean really i really mean this not in your terms not your way I'm talking of coming out of the shadows, being open, being honest, confessing that to a close friend, elder, home group leader, your spouse, whatever it is that's ailing you. 
Come clean, be honest, confess it to God and to someone else, and allow him to begin to heal you. Jesus paid the price, and God delights in you, and we must focus on these truths. So my call here from the scriptures is that you would repent and run to the Father and just fall into his arms and let him hold you. And you can cry in his chest, and he'll hold you. He'll love you. And through the Spirit, He'll begin to heal you and transform you if you will allow Him to, if you will submit to Him. This truth of Christ's sacrifice is the basis why we absolutely can have confidence to face the accuser, should fill your soul with hope. There is absolutely hope. Should give you courage to stand up to that sin and to Satan. Three reasons why. We can face the accuser. First one is Christ's sacrifice. Second reason is Christ's justification. So Christ's sacrifice, number two, Christ's justification. You see it in verses 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. And so he's saying, who's going to bring a charge to God's people. Who's going to bring a charge? Who's going to file charges in the court of law against God's people? Now here it's called the elect. Now we looked at this last week in 28 through 30. Where it talks about called, predestined. We worked through some of this last week. So to not review last week's sermon. Which they are online by the way. They're all archived. Now today's won't because there's no electricity. But um, what we will have is it sounds like our recording, so we'll we'll see how, how that works out online. But point is not to review everything entirely from last week, but what I will say this in short is that our God is sovereign. He is a king, he has the authority, he is God, and he is ruling over his created universe. And so God is absolutely sovereign. And so we can't attempt to rob God of his sovereignty. And if he is sovereign, then that includes, according to this text, sovereignty even over salvation and on electing believers. And yet, again, this is a review from last week, this does not remove human responsibility. This does not absolve us from our accountability. We must freely repent and believe in the gospel. And maybe you're in this room. And you've never done that. You've never actually repented and believed in Christ alone for your salvation. Well, you must make that choice today. Will you repent and believe? Truly turn to Christ. Give your life to Him. You must make that choice. And yet, we're seeing in this same Romans 8 passage that God must initiate. And God absolutely is the one that calls. So is God calling you this morning? Now, these truths, these two truths of a God who is sovereign, which the Bible says that he is, humans who are accountable, it says that we are. We're responsible for our actions. And so God is sovereign. Humans make free will choices, and both of them reconcile somehow. Well, my mind can't understand that. And by the way, yours can't either. No finite mind can fully reconcile how God is sovereign and humans make free will choices. And both are absolutely true. This is a mystery that we absolutely receive by faith. 
and we trust in God's sovereignty. And yet, we know that we must go and tell others because that's what the gospel is, to be shared with others. And so he says, what charge? What charge can be brought to God's people? What charges can be filed by the accuser, the, the prosecution in a court of law, the enemy, Satan? He says, it is God who justifies. This is the response to the question. It is God who justifies. What does that word mean? Justification. It's a legal declaration where God declares you innocent or righteous. And so justification is a legal declaration. It is a change of your status. Which is why Romans 8.1 begins with, Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Absolutely assured of you are justified. You are not condemned. You are innocent. Because your sins have been paid for. God transferred your sins to Christ. And he transferred Christ's righteousness to you. Look for this more on Easter weekend in just a few weeks. We'll talk about this, this great exchange. Your sins have been paid for. The guilt has been paid for. God's not going to charge you with it again. You see, in the U.S., there's a legal provision called double jeopardy. Now, I don't know if that's in every country, but in the U.S., my home country, in the U.S. Constitution, it describes this reality called double jeopardy, where it, it reads in the U.S. Constitution, no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. So it says, no person can be subject to the same offense twice and jeopardize their life. So this prevents the government from prosecuting people for the same crime twice. And so if you're tried and convicted, you, you can't be convicted again for that same crime. You can't. Only try it once. And so God is just. He already tried Jesus. He already condemned Jesus. He already paid the price. Your guilt has already been taken care of. You did sin. I did sin. We are guilty. The verdict in God's cosmic courtroom was guilty. And yet, Christ paid it all. He's already been condemned on our behalf. And so God's not going to now condemn you again. He won't try that same sin twice. He won't do it. He's a good judge. That sin's been paid for. You don't have to pay for it anymore. Because Christ took care of it. No double jeopardy. God loves you. Which is why he says, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. He absolutely accepts you. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're good. Because God loves you. Because he's merciful and kind. And Jesus paid it all. And so, when you have doubts, when Satan, when our accuser comes and he lies to you, don't believe the lies. You know, if you look at this text carefully, the Apostle Paul, Spirit's inspiration, he's absolutely amazing. He's anticipating Satan's lies. You realize what he's doing here in this text. It's amazing. The Apostle Paul knows Satan's lies that all of us experience, and so he's countering them in this text. So, lie number one, Satan will say this to you, 
Satan will lie to you by saying, God cannot be trusted. He'll come to you and he'll say, really? Can you really trust God with this? And, and Paul says, who can be against us? Satan wants you to believe that God is against you. He wants you to believe that whatever is happening is beyond his control or that God is actually doing it against you. And circumstances are being used against you. And Satan wants you to believe that lie, that God's against you. Believe the lie that he can't be trusted. Don't, be, don't buy it. Do not believe that lie. The second lie we see in this text is St. Lazarus says, you are a wretched sinner. He'll say this to you. You're, you are a wretch. You are evil. You are worthless. And he'll say, you're a wretched sinner. He'll lie to you. And then Paul says, who can bring a charge? Who can bring any charge against God's people? Satan wants you defeated. He wants you on the ground. He wants you wounded. And he does not want you victorious in your life. He doesn't want you to have a gospel-centered life. He doesn't want you living a life of purity. He doesn't want you to be open with other people. He doesn't want you to have integrity. He doesn't want you to tell others the good news. He wants you impotent, defeated, useless for the kingdom. That's exactly where he wants you, defeated, thinking that you have nothing to offer to God. So he'll say to you, you're worthless, you're a wretched sinner. And, but Paul says, who is going to bring a charge? Who, is, who, who can do this? Jesus already paid the price. Yes, you are a sinner, but a redeemed one, a loved one. Yes, you're a sinner, but a forgiven one who has the Holy Spirit, who is being sanctified, who can overcome what's ailing you. Not your power, but God's power as you submit to him. And so he doesn't say the whole thing. He just says, oh no, you're a sinner. Fight back. Don't believe the lies. He'll lie to you and say, oh, you'll never change. Stop, stop trying. Don't even bother. It's too difficult. God can't be trusted. You're a wretched sinner. Lies. Third lie in this text, you will not escape your guilt. Satan will lie to you. He'll come to you and he'll say, you won't escape your guilt. But what does Paul say? Who is to condemn? There is no condemnation for us. Satan wants you to doubt the finished work of Christ on the cross. He wants you to doubt that the cross actually can save you. That Jesus' blood is sufficient to truly save you. He wants you to doubt that. And he wants you to try to use your own abilities by doing enough good to somehow earn God's favor. And that won't work for you. Because God is holy and you're broken. It has to be only through Christ. And he will lie and say, oh, you'll never escape your guilt. Yes, you will. If you believe in Christ, if you, if you are justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, you absolutely will escape this guilt. But see, here's how this gets difficult. If we just make it simple for our daily lives. Is we're trying to walk in the Spirit, again, in review from the last few weeks in this chapter. And, but the Holy Spirit who's in us points out our sin. But then Satan also comes and points out our sin. And so you have the Spirit of God pointing out your sin. And you have our enemy, Satan, also pointing out your sin. And sometimes you don't even know who it is. You don't even know what you're sensing. You don't know. But how can you know the difference? 
Well, there's these two voices as I think of them. And so what I call the voice of condemnation. This is Satan. This is Satan who wants to keep you down. And he points out your sin. And his only objective is to defeat you and to make you feel condemned. And so what you have is, if you are sensing, if you are in your soul, in your mind, if you are hearing condemnation upon you, that you're worthless, and that you can't ever change, and God can't use you, and you're just too far gone, it's just not possible for you. This Jesus thing works for others, but it can't work for me. I'm just too messed up. If you think that, if you even have that thought across your mind that is not from God, that is from Satan. He wants to condemn you. So this voice of condemnation is from Satan to keep you down. Remember, you fight against that. No, there is no condemnation because Christ paid it all. I'm justified. But if you are sensing or hearing a voice of correction, see, here's the difference. The voice of condemnation is from Satan. The voice of correction is from the Holy Spirit. He does show you your sin. But he doesn't condemn you with it. He points out your sins so you can repent. So that he can restore you. So you can feel the refreshing that comes from repenting, from being corrected. And the Spirit will speak to you and he'll say, Hey, my son, my daughter, you belong to me. I love you. Come on, get up. Come on, get up. You can do it. I'll help you. Just give me your hand. I'll lift you from this pit. We can do this together. Don't stay down. Don't you dare stay down. I love you too much. I have a plan for you to display my glory. There's this sin. It's getting in the way of our intimacy. Will you please confess it and repent of it and let me heal you? So he points out your sin, but to correct you, to bless you, to lift you up. And so if you're feeling condemnation, that's from Satan. But if, if you're feeling correction, where you know that this is the Spirit, that's good. Don't quench him. Don't resist the Spirit. Fight against Satan. Replace his lies with truth. Hold every thought captive. Don't entertain thoughts that are lies from Satan. Cast those out of your mind and focus on the glory of Christ and how he died for you. He sacrificed himself for you. He has declared you justified. Replace those lies with truth. And the third reason why, as we close, is Christ's resurrection. So we have Christ's sacrifice, Christ's justification, and thirdly, Christ's resurrection. These three truths from this text are ammunition that will help you stand up, face Satan, and face your sin. Jesus paid the price by dying. He had to die as a sacrifice. But he did not stay dead. He's alive. And we'll celebrate it on April 20th. Together, 6 in the morning, all of you. It'll be awesome on the beach. He's alive. He's a king. He's sitting on his throne. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not dead. He conquered it. See, the resurrection proves that the sacrifice was effective. That God the Father, the Holy Judge, said, I accept it. 
it is good. The death's been paid. And God can maintain his holiness without giving one inch on sin. It's effective. So he resurrected his son in power, which proves secondly that Jesus is God. It proves his divinity. It proves that he is fully God and fully man. But this here, the resurrection, proves that he is God. The, the resurrection is proof that Jesus has conquered sin and death and Satan. And that Satan is not sovereign. Hear me. Satan is not sovereign. He's not. Jesus is sovereign over Satan. Satan is a created creature. He's not eternal. He doesn't have power over you. Jesus paid it all. He resurrected and thus defeated the enemy. And the day will come where Christ will crush the head of the serpent. That's coming. He's a defeated enemy. His time is brief. His days are numbered. This all-powerful king who resurrected and is alive, and if you're a believer, his spirit lives in you. All-powerful. Reigns all across the universe. And he loves you. He knows you. Of the seven billion people on this planet, he knows you, your fears, your struggles. He knows. And he loves you. And he moved heaven and earth itself to be close to you by having his son die in your place. Our God is faithful. He is so faithful. Are you satisfied through Christ? Or are you turning to other things to satisfy you? Because he's living water. He alone can satisfy your soul. Nothing else will. Will you truly let him satisfy you? Will you be brave to face the accuser? You must focus on Christ and his gospel only way that you'll have the strength and courage to face Satan and your sin? Have you allowed your failures, your, your past, your struggles to define who you are and defeat you? If you will humble yourself before God, I can assure you with authority from God's word that he can do mighty work in your life. Be honest with him, with others, and with yourself. Will you be brave? Will you face the accuser? You can because of Christ alone. And you pray with me. Father, this morning we are thankful that in this heat, we know that you are with us and you love us. And when we're uncomfortable, we're reminded that we are needy and we are weak and we need you. We praise you for the redemption that your son purchased for us. We praise you for his sacrifice. We praise you for the justification that he purchased for us and his right standing with you. We thank you that our king is alive and we love him and we desire to be a church that reflects his glory to Abu Dhabi and to the world. We praise you for you are worthy. And we pray right now for anyone in this room who is grappling with the truth that they heard today, whether a believer who needs to turn afresh to you or someone who does not yet believe that 
is grappling with this truth, I pray that you would reveal yourself and that they would hear your call and that they would believe in you with all their heart, turn away from their sin, and experience joy everlasting. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and of living with you. And we pray in the name of our King, our Master, our absolute love, Jesus. Amen.